I just want to speak the name of Jesus over every area of my life. Because Jesus is the one that needs to be in charge. Jesus is the one that can heal what's broken, fix what's broken, transform what needs to be transformed. And he can rescue those that need to be rescued. So we just speak Jesus right now. We speak Jesus over this place. We speak Jesus over each one of our lives. Whatever it is that we're facing, whatever it is that we're battling, whatever it is that we're struggling with, Jesus is the victor. And our victory comes from Him. So we speak the name of Jesus now. Amen. Before we get into our message today, a couple of things I wanted to bring to your attention. One is that coming up in March 18th and 19th, there is a conference being hosted by the Indy Vineyard Church. Uh, near, in, it's in the Castleton area uh, of Indy. Uh, it's March 18th and 19th, and it is Everyone Gets to Pray. It's an Everyone Gets to Pray conference. Uh, we're chance to gather with leaders and churches in central Indiana and press into prayer in this year of 2022. So I want to let you know about that. There will, uh, there, there's a flyer that looks like that uh, on the bulletin board right out here, and we'll be posting more information as that gets closer. But the flyer will tell you, you know, as far as the times, on, it's a Friday and Saturday, it'll tell you the times and the cost and so forth. So I want to let you know that. Um, uh, also, uh, I don't know if very many of you or some of you I know have heard that this week, uh, those of you that uh, have been praying all winter for snow, your prayers look like they're going to be answered this week, and not only answered, but answered in abundance. And for those that were praying for no snow, hang on to that hope, but sometimes our answers are delayed. So um, anyway, yeah, we are potentially receiving a significant snowfall this week, uh, starting on, I think, Thursday morning and then going on through the night um, so with that being said, uh, if there are any changes, and any time there's a winter storm, if there are any changes to our schedule here, we will let you know, uh, keep, uh, just, you know, check our Facebook group, uh, both the, the, the page and the community group, uh, our website, we'll let you know through those means, those methods. Uh, by Saturday, sometime on Saturday. So just wanted to let you know that. Um, now, anybody want to admit that they've been praying for like tons of snow? Because we want to take down your names and really pray for you anyway. <laughs> All right. Um, if you'd like to continue your worship through the giving of tithes and offerings, we have three options available. 
You can give through our website, bloomingtonvineyard.com. Just click on the give icon there, follow the prompts, and it's uh, really simple. Or you can mail a check to our post office box, and I would use our P.O. box rather than the street address. It's P.O. box 3277, uh, and the zip is 47402. You mail a check there, or if you have it with you today, you can drop it in any of the boxes on the way out uh, of service. So I think that's all I have to share. I'm not missing any announcements, am I? No? Okay. Father, we ask that as we look into your word today, you speak to our hearts. Lord, we don't want to just hear the word and say, oh, that's nice, and let it go out the other ear. We want to receive it in our hearts because your word is life-transforming. We love you, Lord, and we open our hearts, we open our ears to you today. I believe there are things that you want to speak to us today. So we say, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, without question, I think Jesus' life had greater impact on uh, this world than anyone else who has ever lived. I mean, his teachings were like nobody else's. No one's teachings can compare to the teachings of Jesus. They're still impacting lives today, 2,000 years later. He's, uh, Jesus is still interrupting and encountering and transforming lives today, 2,000 years later. There's no question that his life and ministry were unlike anything else that the world had ever seen. In Mark 1, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry... He was teaching in the synagogue in uh, Capernaum, and, and uh, as he was speaking there in the synagogue, a demon started manifesting. And Jesus quickly rebuked it, commanded it to come out of the man, and it left. And then in, in Mark 1.21, Mark tells us this, the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. His teachings had authority. Jesus began his ministry with power and with authority, and that power and authority continued to characterize his ministry throughout the course of his entire life. In fact, you know, in Acts 10, Peter summed up Jesus' ministry by saying, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And he went around doing good and healing all those who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. It's a sum up of Jesus' ministry. It you know, encapsulates it all. It was so powerful. Now, I want to ask you, have you ever wondered, have you ever thought, you know, what was the secret or what was the key to the authority and the power which characterized Jesus' uh, uh, teaching, his life and his ministry throughout his life. If you ever wondered what what you know why was it so different? What was what gave it the authority? What gave it the power that he had? How was he able to stand out from anyone else that he was so different in in what he taught and how he ministered? That's what I want to talk about today as we start a new series I've simply titled Doing What Jesus Did. Because it is the calling it is the responsibility, it is the expectation, and it is the privilege 
of every follower of Jesus to continue Jesus' ministry by doing the things that Jesus did. Not just believing what he said, not just believing that he did what he did, but as his disciples, as his followers, we are called to do the same things he did. And in this series, we're going to look at what Jesus did in the three years between his baptism and the cross. Because as we look at that, it serves as a model for us as we set out to do the things Jesus did. I mean, he told us, you know, you're going to do these things and even greater things. He said that to his disciples. And then he told the disciples, uh, uh, you know, before he ascended into heaven or when he ascended into heaven, he said, he said, go out into all the world and make disciples and teach him to do all I've commanded you. So in other words, the things that Jesus did, he taught to his disciples and his disciples were to teach them to us for us to do. If we are followers, not just saying we believe, but if we are followers of Jesus. And so we're going to look at Jesus as a model. I want to start this morning with how it began. How it began. Now, before Jesus ever opened his first scroll to teach in a synagogue, before he performed any of the amazing miracles he performed, any of the mighty works of wonder that he performed, prior to starting his ministry, the first thing that Jesus did was that he received affirmation from his heavenly Father. Prior to his ministry, he received affirmation from his Father, and this is hugely important. It begins at Jesus' baptism. And Matthew 3, 16 says, After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, setting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly beloved Son, who brings me great joy. Everything Jesus went on to do, he did at his Father's instruction. But before any of it began, the Father affirmed him as his Son. This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. Not who will bring me great joy, but who brings me great joy. How could Jesus be loved by his Father and bring him great joy before he ever teaches one thing that he was told to teach? Before he ever healed one person that the Father showed him he wanted to heal? Before he, wa- he raised the widow's son from the dead? Before any, he did any of his mighty works, how could he be loved by his Father and bring him great joy before he did any of that? It was simply because of he was his son. Simply because Jesus was God's son. That was enough. He didn't have to do anything for his Father, for his Father to love him and to find joy in him. And the reason this is important and what it has to do with his ministry is that this tells us that Jesus lived his life and he ministered from a place of affirmation. He didn't live trying to get affirmation as his Father's Son. 
He lived from a place of approval. You know, a lot of times we, you know, we, we want to please our parents, so we, we try to get that affirmation. Sometimes we get it and sometimes we don't. Try to get that our affirmation from our father or from our mother. And we do things to try to get that and to try to earn that. But Jesus didn't do this to try to earn anything. He, 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 he didn't you know, live trying to get affirmation as God's son. He lived from a place of approval and from a place of affirmation that was based on his relationship to God as his son, not on what he did. As we try to live our lives and we set our hearts to minister and do the things that Jesus did, that we are called to do, it's important that we're not doing it to try to earn God's affirmation and approval and his love. Because we already have that. He's already given that to us. We can never do enough to earn that from God. We can never do enough to earn his love, to earn his affirmation. But if we learn to minister from a place of being secure in his love, being secure in his affirmation, a place of where we're ministering from who we are in him, a place of security in our identity as his child, then there's no limit to what he can do through us. No limit. Second thing we see is that prior to Jesus doing any ministry at all, he went through a time of testing in the wilderness. I mean, immediately following his baptism, the Holy Spirit, you know, led Jesus. The Holy Spirit descended on him. The Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness where he was tested for 40 days, tempted for 40 days, 40 nights, before he did any teaching, before he ever did one miracle, before he ever set anyone free from an evil spirit or oppression, there was a time of testing, and it came in the form of the enemy tempting him. It's important to note that God did not tempt Jesus. God never tempts us to do wrong. Satan tempted him. See, the difference between God's testing us and the enemy tempting us or testing us is, is the intent. When God tests us, when he tests us, it's, to, it's with the intent of seeing us, us um, um, uh, 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 stand strong in the face of the test. He does it because he says, I know you can do this. I know you can pass this. I have faith in you. I have confidence in you. And I know you can pass this test. When the enemy tests us, it's with the intent of tearing us down, seeing us fall. There's a big difference between the two. The enemy wants to entice us to evil. That's what temptation is. It's an enticement to do evil, to do wrong. And, and that's what Satan tried to do with Jesus, tried to entice him to do what was wrong. And this is how he did it. Let's take note of this because, you know, he uses the same tactics on you and on me. First, Satan attacked his identity, that which had just been affirmed by his father. His identity was attacked. Let's read about it in Matthew 4, starting in verse 2. 
Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became hungry. I would be hungry too. I mean, wouldn't you? This is after 40 days of fasting, uh, he became hungry. And it says, during that time, the devil came to him and said, if you're the son of God, then tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no. The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you're the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And Jesus responded, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. If you are the son of God, If you're really the son of God, the first thing that Satan did was to try to get Jesus to doubt what the father had just affirmed in him, that he was God's son and that the father was pleased with him. This is interesting because he didn't just come out and say, you're not God's son. He tried planting a seed of doubt, and that's how he works in our lives as well. He tries planting a seed of doubt, and, and, and you know, he, he, he comes at our weakest and most vulnerable moment. I mean, 40 days of going without food, Jesus was hungry. His body was weak. He was vulnerable. And that's when he comes to us, when we are at our weakest and vulnerable moment. And he plants seeds of doubt about our relationship with God. And that begins to work in us. Those seeds of doubt, as they're planted, begin to work in our minds, begin to work in our, heart, in our hearts. And if he can get them to grow, it begins to erode our confidence little by little. That's what he did with Jesus. He planted the seed. If you are the Son of God. And then he put a, a plan in front of him to test him whether or not it was true. You know, if you're really God's Son, then prove it by doing this. Prove it by jumping off, because this is what the Scripture says. And he quoted from him. He, he, he even used Scripture to attack his relationship with the Father when he quoted Psalm 91. Psalm, you know, when he says, that for the Scriptures say... He'll order his angels to protect you. They'll hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Psalm 91 is a psalm of protection for the person who trusts God. He tried to get him to prove who he was by a misuse of Scripture. See, Satan knows Scripture, and Satan can quote Scripture. And that's what he tried to do. He was misusing the Scripture to try to get Jesus to say, well, okay, here I go, boom. And Jesus' response simply was, the Scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. And our enemy works the same way today. He uses the same methods. He will try to get to stop you from doing the things that Jesus did by attacking and causing you to doubt your identity as a child of God 
whom God loves and whom God is pleased with. He will try to cause you to question the relationship with God. Jesus told us to go out and announce the kingdom of God. And he told us to then do the works of the kingdom. He said, heal the sick, drive out demons, free the oppressed. We get excited about God using us, but then the enemy comes along and starts planting seeds of doubt. Can you really do that? I mean, yeah, Jesus did it, but I mean, yeah, look, look at who he was. You're not him. You say God's your father, but I don't know. Look at this past week. I didn't see any evidence of that. Who do you think you are? Tells us. You ever had that? You think you're God's child? I know what you've done. I know what you're really like. What makes you think God's going to use someone like you? How can you call him father? He attacks our identity as God's child. He attacks our relationship and causes us to question it and causes us to doubt it. But you know something? God has already affirmed his love for each and every one here. And when we put our faith in him, he's already affirmed our relationship with him. See, God proved his love for us in that while we were still far away, far away from him, as far as we could be, Christ died for us. Not when we started moving toward him and needed help getting things cleaned up, but when we had no thought of him, when we outright rejected him, as far away as we could be from him, that's when Christ died for us. And when we turn to him in faith and we put our trust in him, then, you know, he, he adopts us into his family. And you've put your faith in him, that's already happened. You are now a part of the family of God. You are adopted into his family, whether you always act like it or not. Whether you fully believe it or not, you are a part of his family. Whether you're struggling or not, when you put your faith in Christ you become his child. Don't ever let Satan cause you to doubt what God has already affirmed. Don't let him stop you from doing what Jesus did before you even get started. Now, in addition to attacking Jesus' identity, he also tempted him with a shortcut. He was tempted with a shortcut. Matthew 4, starting in verse 8. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I'll give it all to you, he said, if you'll kneel down and worship me. Now, and then Jesus said, get out of here, Satan, for the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. What was going on here is that Jesus was tempting, or excuse me, Satan was tempting Jesus with a shortcut. He showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world, all their glitz, all their glory, said you can have it all now, all you got to do is just 
kneel down and worship. What we need to understand is this. When he made that offer to Jesus, he could have followed through on it. Follow me on this. He could have delivered it. Originally, mankind was put here with a charge to rule the earth. Mankind was given to have dominion over all the earth. That's how it was in the garden. But when man sinned, he handed rulership of the earth over to Satan. That's why in John 14, 30, Jesus calls Satan the ruler of the world. How did he become the ruler of the world? Because when he got Adam and Eve to sin, they gave, they, 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 they abdicated their rulership to Satan. So when Jesus calls him the ruler of the world, that was it. So it was in Satan's power to give all the kingdoms of the world to Jesus, to turn all the authority over to him, all the kingdoms of the world. And then Jesus, if he would have done that, would have bypassed the cross. He would have had rulership over all the world and bypassed the cross. Jesus, or, or excuse me, Satan was offering Jesus a shortcut to bypass the cross. That's what was going on here. We, here. Here's something we need to understand, though. With God, there are no shortcuts. God's original plan is the best plan. And God's plan was for Jesus to come to earth and to go to the cross. Without the cross, you and I could not be saved. The only way for our sin to be taken away for, was for us to be rescued from Satan's dominion of darkness, as it calls it in Colossians 1, to be rescued from dominion, Satan's dominion of darkness. The only way for that to happen was for our sin to be nailed to the cross, and that's what happened in Jesus. In Jesus, our sin was nailed to the cross. If you want to do the things Jesus did... If you want to do the work of the kingdom, the ministry of Jesus that he called us to, recognize there are no shortcuts. There are no shortcuts of us just going out and doing it and not cultivating the relationship we have with Jesus. Listening to his voice so we can hear what he's telling us to do. Being sense, learning how to be sensitive to the leading of His Spirit so we can recognize the Spirit's leading when it comes. If you want to do the things that Jesus did, do the work of the kingdom, then recognize, that Satan's, ta recognize Satan's tactics when he tries to stop you and don't buy into him. When Jesus was ready to begin His ministry, His identity was questioned and attacked and a shortcut was put in front of him, which would have bypassed the cross. But he, he overcame all of that. And Jesus overcame his temptations by the Spirit of God. Remember at his baptism, the Spirit of God descended on him, came and rested on him in the form of a dove. And that same Holy Spirit has been given to you and to me as, his children, as God's children. 
He overcame all of that, came out of the wilderness, out of his season of, uh, of testing, and was ready to start his ministry because of two things. One, Jesus began his ministry secure in his identity. He began secure in his identity. When his Father in heaven said, this is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy, Jesus believed what the Father said and took him at his word. And we need to do the same thing. Now, you may be here today and you've thought, I've never had affirmation from my Father. I've never had even a kind word from my father. My father never told me he loved me. My father never told me that, he, he, that I brought him joy. I found nothing but harshness, nothing but, but, but you know, fault-finding from my father. How am I supposed to identify with this? Well, this was our heavenly father that was speaking to Jesus. And no matter whether you had a great model as an earthly father or your model as an earthly father was the opposite. Your heavenly father says he loves you and you bring him joy. He is pleased with you. Don't let what you receive from your earthly father block what your heavenly father is giving you all the time. He's giving you his affirmation. He's giving you his love. He's letting him know, I take delight in you. I take joy in you just in that relationship that we have. When the, when the, when the father said, this is my dearly, son, dearly loved son who brings me great joy, Jesus believed what the father said. He took him at his word, and he could do that because of the intimate relationship that he had, that he had with his heavenly father. Taking at face value what the father said is what Jesus, gave Jesus the authority and the power and the confidence to begin the work which his father gave him to do. When we begin to step out and fulfill the mission that Jesus gives to the church, that he gave to the church, when we begin to do the stuff that Jesus did, we don't do it to gain favor. We don't do it with the idea of, I hope God will like me now. I hope God will love me now. I hope God will be pleased with me now. I hope I will bring joy to him now by doing this. We don't do it from that. We already stand in a place of His grace. We already stand in a place of His unmerited favor. We already stand in that place where we bring Him joy because of our relationship to Him when we give our life to Jesus. So instead, we minister from a place of favor with God just as Jesus did. And we do it knowing that, you know, we do it knowing that we already stand in that place. And don't let the enemy or anyone else tell you otherwise. It is so freeing when we realize that. Another characteristic of, characteristic of Jesus' ministry is that he was steadfastly committed to God's word. Steadfastly committed to it. God's word was the final authority. He stood on that. Jesus told him in Matthew 4, uh, Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Verse 7, Jesus responded, the scriptures say you must not test the Lord your God. Verse 10, get out of here, Satan. 
For the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. When Satan tempted Jesus, Jesus responded with no. The word says this, which means that Jesus knew the scriptures. He knew what was written. So he could quote, it is written. Didn't matter how enticing the temptation was. And let's face it, after 40 days and 40 nights of not eating anything, a fresh hot loaf of bread would sound so good. And I don't know this. I may be reading much, a bit into the Scripture, but I'm guessing that he probably just caused the aroma of fresh bread to kind of waft his way to tempt him. You ever been tempted by the aroma of fresh, hot bread? I won't ask if you've ever resisted that aroma because I don't know if anybody could put up their hand. Had to be enticing. And what about bypassing the cross? I mean, you're going to become king of kings and lord of lords over all the earth. You're going to have authority over all the earth and rule over it. Wouldn't you be tempted to bypass going through the excruciating pain of the cross? It's one thing for us to sit here and, or stand here or whatever and, and talk about it and think about it. But Jesus, he knew firsthand because he had seen it. His was not the only crucifixion. The Greeks invented crucifixion. The Romans perfected it as a means of torture. And they lined the streets of, you know, going into Rome, they, 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 they lined the, 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 the Roman roads, they lined the streets with crucifixions. With you know, he, Jesus, you know, so many times must have walked by people hanging on a cross and witnessed that. And then here comes Satan saying, hey, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Just bow down and worship me. You, can, you don't have to do that. Offered him a shortcut. The key to Jesus' ministry from the very beginning was his unshakable confidence in his relationship with the Father and his unwavering commitment to God's word. And it's the same for you and it's the same for me. When we minister from that place of already having God's affirmation. Let's remember that. Because every one of us, every single one of us, it doesn't depend on gifting. It doesn't depend on natural ability. It doesn't depend on anything else. It depends on one thing. Jesus said, do the works that I did. That's all it depends on, that he's already told us, you just do the works that I did and leave the results in his hands and don't question the relation. While he was talking to his children, I'm not so sure if I am one. That issue needs to be settled first. 
And when he comes along and tries to detour, you stay committed to his word. I want us to pray. And as we pray, if you are unsettled in the fact that you are God's child, if that's been something that doubt has crept in, I'm not talking about past mistakes and stuff, but if that is something that has crept in, the doubts of your relationship to God, if you have given your life to Jesus, doesn't matter how many times you fall, you're still his child. When my kids were growing up, And they made mistakes. It's happened a few times. When they made mistakes, I didn't throw them out of the house and say, go find another family. You're not my child. God won't do that. Settle the issue. Believe what he has said. And if you've never made that decision, then make it now. Just in your own words, as, you, as, as, we, as we pray in just a moment, just say, God, I want to come to you and I want to be your child. I believe that Jesus came and that he died for me and that he rose from the dead. And I want to turn the way from the way I was living to living for you. Something along those lines. And turn your life over to him and become his child and don't let anybody bring that into doubt. So, Father, we pray right now, and we ask you, we ask you, Lord, to confirm the relationship that we have with you. Speak to us as your children, and help us to come to that place where we rest securely in the confidence that we have that you are our Father and we are your child, your son or your daughter. Lord, we want to know that affirmation and we want our faith to be unshakable in it. We don't have that ability in our own strength, but Lord, by your Spirit, you can do that work in us. So we ask that you do that. And teach us your word, Lord, that it may become embedded in our hearts and minds as we read it. Give us understanding and help us to retain it. That when we are tempted, we can stand confidently on your word and resist the enemy and say, no, Scripture says this. It is written thus.
We come to you, Lord. We want to do the works that you did. Help us to minister from a place of affirmation, solidly standing on your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Pray your heart for the benediction. And now may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. God bless you. Go out and have a great week. We'll see you hopefully Sunday.